Hi, hi. Hello, hello. Welcome back to part two of Saeed's story. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, would really recommend going back to listen to that, where we hear about um, Saeed's story, who was originally from Afghanistan and has been living as a refugee and now an activist. And He also told us about what the situation is like in the refugee camps here in Iceland, which we both were, we knew it was bad, but it's actually really bad. And especially like, it means a lot coming from him because he was in, you know, he had experienced Greece and, you know, like sleeping in random places. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that it says a lot that he thinks that the camps here are terrible. Terrible. Um, Um, You'll hear more about that. And um, he also tells us about how he has gone to politicians here in Iceland, told them, in detail his story and asking for help and it's just it's made him feel hopeless to be honest been met with a wall of silence yeah so i think this is going to be a really eye-opening episode for a lot of us to kind of get into you know what's actually going on here in iceland Mm -hmm. um and yeah we hope you enjoy it let's jump in let's jump in And then, uh, so me and my girlfriend, we decided to move in Iceland together. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. I'm okay, now I'm just wondering, like, when did you get, how did you get to Iceland? Because yeah, you actually, went from Athens know to about Iceland. Iceland. So yeah. I had, like, a Spanish friend that was volunteering with us in this organization, and he knew about Iceland. And then, actually, I had a couple friends, like, that was uh, volunteering in one of the... Uh, refugees helping organization like called Hof Cafe. They were like a kind of volunteering there and I got to know her through some friends and I called her and she gave me some information about Iceland. And then I did some research myself because I didn't know Iceland existed when I came first in Greece. <laughs> Don't blame so, me, yeah. it was not uh, on your yeah, mind. Yeah, actually, it was like so crazy. And then yeah. when I found out about Iceland, so I started doing some research and then I actually flew to the Netherlands and then from Netherlands we and then I booked my flight to Iceland. Actually, I kind of like I was confused between Netherlands and Iceland where to stay, but I rather decided because uh, I met with head of some community there and they were like, uh, they're kind of really tight on Afghans right now. Asylum seeker that comes here. In the here. Netherlands. Yeah, they don't really get asylum here and they wait for three to four years. But Iceland wasn't like that. If you hadn't, like, you would come as if Iceland would be your first country to ask for asylum, you get your asylum in nine months. So mm-hmm. I rather Okay, but did you ask for asylum in Greece? I asked for asylum in Greece, but I didn't get my interview for my asylum interview because it was like, a, you have to wait for almost three years to get that. Well, in okay. Greece, there are so many refugees wow. waiting yeah. in the line. So I didn't get the interview. And I didn't want to wait for three years just to get no, my no, asylum no. interview. And I don't know what would happen afterward. Mm-hmm. So and does getting asylum, does that mean getting... Uh, like support from yeah, the government it's a residency that where you residency. can work it's like a kind of now what I have is here like I have an Icelandic passport like I have a, my Icelandic residency for four years and after I would be like after when I completed my this period of time and then I can just straight up apply for Icelandic citizenship which I would be an Icelandic you have an Icelandic passport yes I do have an Icelandic passport where uh, I can travel how do, can you explain a little bit how the system works because so it's how, confusing to me yeah okay so how the asylum system works here is uh, when you came fast as an asylum seeker, you, you were kind of like staying in a camp here in Augsburg, mm-hmm. in Kaplovic. Like yeah. so many people doesn't know of his existence, which is a disgusting place to stay. Mm. I mean, that was a point I always argue the Icelandic government can do better mm-hmm. in that point because so, so yeah. because that place is horrible that to stay. It's like a 
kind of like it's a prison actually and not like a prison it's a prison but not a prison like because prisons are like if you're a prisoner you are allowed to have some visitors but in that camp you're not allowed to have visitors so you just you have well, no activities and there is nothing around to do like no yeah. human beings to be seen it's in the middle it's of like yeah. no it's Absolutely. just yeah. it was Absolutely. like a, yeah. abandoned us base and now they're using mm. it as i refugee thing yeah so they kind of like a transfer me there so from uh, for a month there but i was the youngest one in the camp there but you also with your girlfriend no actually we moved here uh kind of we uh, i came first and yeah. she came after like a three months okay okay like, but we decided to move here together okay. so we were decided to live together because i came and after three months then she came and then she we kind of like i uh, lived there for almost three to four months together and then she went back to us and then after that things didn't really work out so yeah mm-hmm. so and then uh when first I was sent to the camp in Ausbro and I kind of like we stayed there and uh, I stayed there for a month because I was the youngest one in the camp and they kind of the Red Cross pushed through to take bring me back but I had met people that had been there for nine months in this in Ausbro in, in this Ausbro, place that's yeah, like worse for, than a prison yes people had been there for nine months and I was already horrified for a month when mm. I was there in a month so I like when I was there one person committed suicide but oh. they stopped him and the day they got me to the camp the same day the, in the 6 in the morning police came and tried to take my roommate that I was supposed to stay with so I was like kind of horrified traumatized yeah, from the beginning the same morning like police came two big police knock in the door and grabbed the guy and took him with them and to like, deport him or yeah, is I, it like I think, I think they were deporting him and the guy was such a nice guy when I went past. He was having conversation and made some food and stuff. We were getting along and yeah. But then I stayed there for a month and then I was transferred back to Reykjavik. And then when I get back to Reykjavik, I was a place in a place called Grand South Svego. There was a camp there. This place was more more horrible than that place I was. Grand and here in Reykjavik. Yeah, camp in Reykjavik. That's, it's like a, there is a room just this much. Yeah, and there are two people slips, and you have the kitchen in here too. And there two are people are sleeping in yeah, that in, in this area, yeah, in in each room. And there's a two like two by bed. four meters yeah. or something wow. that, like that. So you sleep in there, and then like. Uh, and is this a camp or is it apartments it's, or something? It's, no, it's a camp actually. It's a, in like, Reykjavik. A, in Reykjavik, yeah. Where is it? Uh, it's uh, in Grand's House, Vegu. It's like, it's like a, yeah. It's just in the other side of town. Like it's almost six minutes away from here if you're driving. So uh, I was staying there and then I was with this old guy in the thing and in the night he would snore and I was never able to sleep and as well as like when we were cooking, like the clothes were all like a smell of food and stuff. And then there were 80 people in that camp and there were four bathrooms in total. 80? 80, yeah. Oh my gosh. Because there are two floors, like first and second floor and there are almost, I think they have like more than 30 rooms. So each room hosts like a two people mm. so yeah and then there were only four bathrooms there and then in this four bathroom sometimes it took me an hour to just use the bathroom it was horrible so and then living there so i after two months of living in that camp and i knew i was capable of working so i was like why should i stay here yeah. why i am more than capable of working and i just created my resume in the evening and the next day i came out started walking through Logerweger and I went to two, three different places and they asked me if I had a kental. I was like, no, I don't have it. And I was like, if you give me a work, like I might get one temporary for like six months. And they were like, yeah, sure, we will call you. But I didn't get a job. And then I went 10, 11. 
tea at Lewis straight and then the manager saw me and she saw me I'm young and I speak English and I'm like a kind of like she was impressed she was like sure why don't I mean you did you tell them like your story because like, I did, I did like, like skip the CV be like yeah, I walked yeah, over exactly. these mountains yeah. on my bare feet <laughs> exactly. and like escaped the this police like 100 times yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> I told them uh, like a little bit of my work and they were like yeah sure come you in you told them about your work <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they they gave me work there and I have no Kentala so I'm working there for two months and I haven't got my residency and I'm calling every day immigration and they're so fucking busted and they like never listen to you they, the, the immigrations are like oh my god these people are horrible Ugh. like there was this lady working there and she was so racist one day so I, I was I went to like the Winamala Stepnan so I talked to them and they said like my immigration uh, my ap- application in Winamala Stepnan has been approved and they have sent my application to Utlandinga Stepnan so go to Utlandinga Stepnan so I went to the Utlandinga Stepnan and I'm talking to this girl and I I went straight to the cashier and I asked her I said that my application has come here so I need that to be printed out so that I can get my residency and she looked at me she's like no you actually your application is without checking anything your ap- application is still in the uh, Winamala Stepnan it hasn't come and that was good that I had been in the office. So if you are just a normal foreigner and you are yeah. there, so yeah. you have to come back again to the here. And mm. again, you have to like spend an hour and to go back there. Mm. And you don't have a car. You know how uh, like yeah. a straight yeah. works. Yeah. So that you are all days with. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. So yeah. So I was like, I just talked to the Winamala uh, stuff and they said my application has been approved and it's here. And she's saying no. And I get so angry and I started shouting. And you mean like she, she didn't yeah. check anything? she's not checking anything. And she's saying my application is not there. So I started shouting. Yeah. And then another person came in and tried to help out and, and check my application was there. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, you know, I'm sorry, blah, blah. And this is, I was like, no, this is not an excuse. Like, you are just racist and that's it. Mm. Exactly. Why because do you, they have a racist person working there? Yeah, like, what you, the, should, that should be like a fire. She's <laughs> looking so angry at Whoa. me. Like, I, like, I'm taking something from her. Like, oh bro, gosh. I'm just here simply just asking for my work permission to be able to go and work. Which is wow. so important. Which is so important. It's, like, it's fundamental to the quality yeah. of your life. Yeah. And it's like... So, and then I actually, the another employee came out. I think she was Mexican. I think she's a Mexican Icelandic. She was super nice, actually, like because she's an immigrant, of course, and she yeah. would understand my pain, my pain. And then she actually helped me out. And I got my residency after two months of working, and then I got my salary. And then I left the camp and I rented a room for myself. And mm-hmm. I went out and then I started my life from there. Okay, but did you did you have to go through the asylum process? Yes. And like so the asylum process, like, uh, so my case was different because I started working earlier than I was, uh, like, my I was granted asylum. So I started like working after three months of being in Iceland. But the rest of the people has to wait for nine months to get their asylum done. But uh, I, after three months when I started working, so in fifth month, I got a six-month temporary residency, okay. which was like I was able to work and like create my bank account and stuff as a Kentala. So, uh, and then in that period of time, I was waiting for my interview as well, my interview for asylum. And then it came actually on the fifth month. And I gave my interview and after two months, I was granted asylum. So on the month, on the seventh month, I was granted asylum for four years. And then I had my main asylum ID, which is for four years, which is valid for, for four years. I have a Kental on it and then like my name and information. And then I get like a this travel document, which is like a passport, but not a passport. It's a travel document, which you can travel all across the Schengen countries without mm-hmm. a visa free. And you can travel other in other countries also but you have to apply for a visa so but it's an icelandic passport so which you can travel gotcha. so, okay yeah. i understand that and then i so i got all of those documents in my hand and then it was easier to work and then i started begin and after one year and then i just started i was like yeah and now i'm done i because i had my life settled so i kind of got my driving license i had my car and then i kind of like bought a car and 
I had my own apartment, so I was like, now it's time to start school. And then I started school, like in uh, and then I started there the first semester, and then I finished the second semester, and now it's my third semester, but I went to other school in Gravelog or in Burger Old School. It's like I'm doing filmmaking, because we have better filmmaking system there. Mm -hmm. So, and then I started making friends, uh, so I kind of like, uh, and then the refugees in Iceland, started, the movement started, like when I was in the camp, the movement started, but I started working when the movement, but I was always part of it. So I was, we were five of us, we started this movement, but then the rest of the people get deported, but I was the only guy that was left behind. Oh, gosh. So, and then we started like for three months protesting with the refugees in Iceland. We like, we were spending the nights in the front of parliament and stuff. And through there, I made some friends. And But, but then through my work, I made some friends. And actually the main uh, point of that, I made a friend uh, with this Icelandic Americans, like her, their mothers are uh, American and their fathers are fathers Icelandic. Uh, some some friends I made, and then they actually kind of invited me home, and I went to their house and I met their their mom. And actually, she's the owner, the founder of the Flu Meditation. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. uh, you know yeah, Flu. Yeah. Oh, okay, mm -hmm. yeah, she's yeah. the founder of the, like Tristan Gobin, and mm -hmm. she was super nice actually. Okay. I, they kind of like then I kind of like uh, often keep visiting them all the time, and I kind of they used to make food and on mm, certain nice. occasions I went there. To build your yeah, community. and then actually I had some other friends, and they kind of invited me over and I went and I Icelandic friends with their families with their I got to know them so it was like so cool like kind of getting to all these families and they were just like listening to me all the time we were talking and if I had any issues they would help out and I made kind of a lot of friends and then through that uh, uh, that I actually I went to one of the events like flow meditation was hosting and then when I went to that event I I met with the former chairwoman of uh, Amnesty International in Iceland and she actually asked me to join the youth group mm -hmm. and then I was invited to the youth and I joined the youth and I was the youth group like the youth member of the Icelandic International uh, Amnesty and then uh, in this year there was an election and I won the election I became the chair of the youth okay, now nice. so yeah after two years oh. of being a youth member but yeah wow. so yeah. And then beside that, I like kind of started my own, own organization. Like uh, I had this idea of doing something because like uh, in 2020, the situation in Yemen was really bad. So I had this idea of I wanted to do something for Yemen to start some fundraising. And there was this girl from Poland and we were really good friends. She was activists as well. So we started this project together that we wanted to do something for Yemen. And uh, we actually talked to some other activists and they wanted to help us out. And when uh, we kind of talked and then she kind of, uh, she had a lot of work to do and she kind of didn't want to continue and then actually I just called up on, on some friends and they wanted to help out and we kind of like a, we became a team together and then we started this organization some style yeah. and mm. then we uh, kind of like uh, created our posters and we created everything and the first uh, fundraising we did for children in Yemen was we raised 17 million kroner what yes wow. for with the UNICEF cooperation project oh my goodness that's, so that's nice, huge yeah. Wow. yeah and then we send the money to Yemen and then the second fundraising we did was like for the Syrian war like anniversary 10 years war and then we raised to almost one and a half million kroner wow. again and then uh, yeah and then it continued and it went now we are like a uh, kind of a international like a solidarity organization that we are going to register uh, register ourselves here in Iceland and there are seven of us in the team I'm the only foreign guy, but the rest are Icelanders. And mm -hmm. Sarah is also with us in the team and the rest of the people. They're really good people. Like, everyone knows something. Like, yeah. uh, 
we had never kind of like in need of someone like to take on our tasks mm -hmm. because everyone knows something. Someone is like a graphic designer. Someone is like a uh, like knows about accounting. Someone yeah. knows about like how to create posters. Someone like everyone knows something well. like how to do campaigns and reach out to the people. So yeah, we always we take on the tasks and we just kind of start on doing things and we're not following any instructions. We're just taking on on the solidarity action and trying to help out. In any country, so probably we will create a fundraising for Afghanistan, but we haven't created yet. But we, because of the late situation, we were more pushing onto like to just get Icelandic government to take one this 120 people. Yeah. But it kind of like didn't happen, I guess. Okay, let's talk about it. So, so what happened is like, uh, uh, I went to I saw Ashmin Drainer, who's the head of the social affairs. So he's the kind of responsible guy for refugees and stop taking people from out because the refugee committee comes under his department. When the, when he called me and we t I talked to him and he said to me to talk to refugee committee. And when I talked to refugee committee uh, secretary and she said, like, uh, they do not deal on individual cases, which was like my <sighs> family case, but they want to like a kind of, but they want to take people from Afghanistan. So I sent a letter specifically like, very specifically, I, I described everything, how they should take refugees here. I mean, if any member, anyone they want to, we were pushing for 100 families. But they were like, yeah, sure. So we are going to do something about it. So the next day they had a meeting. But before the meeting, I went to, I actually wrote Ausle Kartner and I went with the uh, UNICEF's chairwoman and the UN women together to meet Ausle Kartner mm -hmm. and uh, to explain her the situation of my family that was facing because I have a sister that was shot in 2020 uh, by an attack. But that's another story. I will come on it later. Yeah. Uh, so And then like uh, I explained her specifically how dangerous it was for my family mm -hmm. to be there. But they were like, yeah, actually, you know, I support your cause. I definitely support your family and I'm, we are going to help you out and blah, blah. They actually made a lot of promises that I believed, like, uh, you know, I thought they're the good guys, but I knew, like, because I'm also part of the, like, uh, Reykjavik Liberals Party, like, I just recently joined them, like, on, like, some sort of campaign and stuff. So, I know how the politics works here. For someone who's who's been in politics, my whole family been in politics for the last almost 21 years now, so I know how politics works, at least, like, but then they're trying to be this perfect guys on social media, on their Instagrams, like, they're doing a lot of good things, but they're not, especially Ashwin Reiner. So, I met with Ashwin before the day, the government officials were meeting. So I explained her all the situation because she's the Ministry of Justice. She has a power to do things. And I actually told her that, like, if you were doing something, I was like, just look out for the women in Afghanistan. I mean, you were, you you guys are like the whole country being led by women. Mm -hmm. So you could be an example for other countries. Mm -hmm. She was like, yeah, actually, she was smiling. Value, yeah. Yeah. Like she was smiling. And the next day, you know what they came up with? So they, they wanted to take 120 people from Afghanistan. That's fine, absolutely fine. But they created this narrow loophole that nobody, none of those families that lives here, that was fitting into that loophole they had created. So they said... What do you mean? Uh, they, so I'm going to explain it. Okay. So they said they're taking 120 people in, but they have to be on certain categories. So they created categories, which one was like a family reunification or someone that who has graduated from UN school in Icelandic university, or they had worked in Afghanistan for Icelandic peacekeeping mission. So the oh number, the what number the of the, the, yeah. thing oh the number of ice people that had worked for Icelandic peacekeeping mission in Afghanistan was zero. Yeah, exactly. I was <gasps> say, no what one. Is, that's 
That, That's shocking. The girls that was graduated from UN school here, from like a UN school in Iceland, was one. Wait, so somebody who graduated? What do you mean? Somebody from like a UN school through UN came from through UN came from Afghanistan to Iceland and graduated, went back. So right, there was just okay. one person that has graduated from the this this programming. Mm-hmm. So this is one, and there were six other families that had asked for family reunification, and, and family reunification is so, when there's Afghanistani people here. Yeah, that they ha- but they have a wife back in Afghanistan, or they have a, a like a minor children yeah. that they can bring them over but if they're not minor they cannot bring or if someone that who has like me a mother who is six seven years old at the same time siblings that are minors so how am I supposed to have a mother that's six seven years old and has at the same time siblings that's 16 like are you oh kidding me like it's like they're like yes like a, we'll help yeah, you yeah it's but like my like mother was like, you know my mother chance. was 52 and she gave birth to my no, brother of course it doesn't like, work no yeah. no it oh my was gosh. I was so furious yeah Okay, so the reason. So, can you explain again the reason why you wouldn't be able to bring your family through this program? Just so because my mother is not sixty-seven years old. Sixty-seven. Yeah. So my mother need to be above sixty-seven years old. Right. So, and my brothers needed to be minor, so I could bring them here. But my mother is not sixty-seven. So and she's and 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 but I have my brothers are minor. Oh, they are sixteen. Yeah, but my mother is not sixty-seven. I my my sister, she's not also minor because my main focus was on my sister and two of my niece that were going in school. Oh my god! Seems like they just make it really difficult. Yeah. So they made it like they didn't want to take this hundred and twenty people. They made it like okay now then they were just because elections are coming up so they wanted to look good to the Icelandic society like yeah we are taking 120 people from Afghanistan because we are helping the Afghan people out but in in reality they're taking only 20 to 25 or 30 people and then they're saying that the rest of the people didn't fit into the loophole we created and by this time by which time people will have forgotten about it anyway you know and it sounds seems awfully strategic of them to do it like this this is what like Auschwitz Einer's department proposed to the whole community, to the whole uh, authorities, and this is what they had came agreed. And the next day, it was I was so angry, just infuriating. Yeah. Just I was furious. I was like a, everything you say I was. Mm. So actually, I couldn't bear it, and I really got sick that day. And I, the night, I, the evening, I, I came at eight o'clock. I slept. The next day, the entire day, I was sleeping, and that continued for a whole week. I couldn't leave my bed. Like, because I had so much hopes, yeah, you know, I, 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 yeah, I worked so hard. Like I met with every politician, mm. I gave time to them and I went through with the hope. But then when I, I faced this thing, like you personally met me, like it was not yeah. like a, you just read it on the news. I personally come in your door knocking and ask, begging for help, yeah. but and you just ignored there. me. And it was so horrifying. Yeah. And... Uh, and the situation my family was going through and like I had gave them some hope so like things are good on a positive way things are happening that I might get you out and it was just so crazy and I I, I didn't know what to do mm-hmm. and I was angry I was like a sad I was crying and I, would, I was really it was like a really bad day and but they made this decision but we tried to reach them out but still nothing changed so I mean, if you want to take these people, then why create? And then, you know what they put in the news? Yeah, actually, you know, we're uniting the Afghans that who has an Icelandic residency with their families. A lie, then. That's a lie. Absolutely yeah, a lie. Exactly. This was not true, because Don't where's lie. my family? I hate it when people lie like that. Yeah. Yeah. They put it on the news, like, we're con- we actually, you know, we're kind of connecting people uh, that has an Icelandic residency, the Afghans that lives here, we're bringing their families over. And you're like, and hello. I was like... The nerve to yeah. do that. It's just... Like, 
that's not true. That's a, a, no. a lie. Yeah. Because you are not bringing families. You are only bringing those who fits into your loophole. Into you your created. random, random categories and yeah. loopholes. Yeah. What is that? It feels um, like the people that maybe allowed this to go through didn't even like look into it at all to see if it was going to... Or I would hope so, at least. Like I hope they didn't look into it and, and then, then I just called, and then decide. That, and yeah. I called the refugee committee and then I'm asking her, so okay, I told I said, You are a refugee committee here and they were like, Yeah, we are helping refugees providing guidelines. So how are you aware of refugee committee? And me as a refugee that been living here for the last almost two and a half years, I never knew since yesterday that you even existed. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the yeah. point. Yeah, <laughs> even the while working with the whole refugees. I mean, in the entire country, I work with every refugee here. Yeah. So I help them create resumes, trying to find them jobs. I am in a community group with my whole refugees here. I meet with every different. I, I meet with the Turkish refugees. I meet with Arab refugees. I meet with everyone. Like I your know whole everyone job here. and your the life whole job here. and yeah. my life here. And I didn't know of your existence since yesterday. And they didn't know of yours. And they didn't know of mine. And yeah. how how am I supposed to know? Like they were like, yeah, you know, we are helping refugees and we are like a providing guidelines and stuff. I mean, if you were helping, at least I would have heard from one person that yeah. you have helped help. yeah. as a community. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I yeah. didn't know yeah. of your oh, existence since yesterday. That's how so kind of farcical. What kind it's of refugee committee yeah. you are. And then they were like, yeah. And then I was like, okay, so let's put this conversation aside. So how many people has graduated from you and the school here in Iceland? So you just take that decision based on that. Like, actually, you know, I'm only aware of one that I am sure. Okay, 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 okay. I was like, so how many of the Icelandic mission, uh, like uh, that work for Icelandic mission of peacekeeping in Afghanistan? Oh, actually, I'm not aware of that. I know that because I am in Afghan community here and I know that the number is zero. Mm -hmm. There is no one in that category and there is only one lady that came through UN school here and that's it. So how can you just, like it was so, mm -hmm. I was so angry. I was just yeah. looking at somebody to shout that. Yeah. Like I was so, it was so like infuriating and the whole process that the way they did this thing. And then they just put on the news like they're uniting the Afghans that oh. have an Icelandic residency with their families. Like, bro, that wasn't, that's not what was happening there. No. And um, now, um, okay, I don't know if I have this straight, but how would they be able to unite families now? Because it hasn't like... Does it make a difference that the like U.S. Army is out? Like they how can't, how no. do they do it? So maybe I don't know. I'm not quite aware of it. I think they just took two, three people out, and how? that's it. Like uh, at the time when the U.S. Army was back. Okay, and, so and was, Iceland. Yeah, Iceland. I think there were. I heard like some two or three people had came. That's it. The, okay, so the, the time the, is no up. One. It's the time time is up. up. Yeah, but uh, probably they're going to take like uh, those families. I mean, the point was here, you know. They said family reunification, they're going to bring people from a family reunification process. There were six to seven families that has applied for family reunification. But this process had nothing to do with the situation of Afghanistan. The family reunification that people has applied, they were obliged by the law to bring those families. Yeah, exactly. They would eventually end up coming yeah, like sooner or anyway. later. Anyway, yeah. they would have come. So they kind of like made, you know... They were like, okay, they, we'll they fill did our promise. Yeah. The one that we made before. They actually did, did nothing. They if you look nothing. into too deep, so because the, the mission... Peacekeeping mission was zero, and there was only one lady from UN school that graduated here. So the rest was zero, and they only taking now the family reunification, and which they would they have, and which they do. were supposed to do anyway, so they would have come. So oh. they did nothing. Oh wow, wow. So that was a pretty good planning that they came up with, Very like strategic. a pretty like an yeah. like an a government plan, yeah. like you know, and Evil then twisting it to make it twisting look. it to make it like a look good. Wow. Oh. interesting. God. I'd 
Because if I I if I was not who I am today, I would if you ask this to a simple refugee, they would not understand the complication of the process. No. They would just say, "Yeah, Iceland is taking 120 people." But when someone mm-hmm. like me come steps in and looks into the process, so like you collect the dots and you look like they actually yeah. have done nothing. No, no. it was like no. Uh, the UK said that they would take 20,000. Afghanistani refugees over five years. I was oh, like, yeah. I, I know uh, that. hello, they need the help now, yeah, actually, yeah. not in five they years. They were like, we're going to bring 5,000 each year. 5,000? Right. <laughs> to a country of 60 million, at least. Over five years. I just didn't, I was like, are you seriously saying that? Are, you, are those words coming out of your mouth? Because the problem is actually now. It's not in five years. It's ridiculous, yeah. you know. It's just like a whole world's like kind of watching and doing nothing what's happening in the country and then you know and then when there are women being oppressed and then there's so many people just walks in yeah the women are being oppressed in Afghanistan okay yeah yeah I know that I mean what you did to change that situation yeah. because you had the power like you uh, now if someone from Iceland criticized Afghanistan for women's being oppressed I would seriously say shut, up. You shut up just yeah shut yeah. up because you're in a country that being led by women yeah. and you are letting that happen that which you could prevent it like when the society attack t- took place in the airport, like almost 90 people died and 80% of those people that died were women and children. That could have been easily prevented by the the, the Western nations. Yeah. They didn't do anything. Like there was this girl, she was a YouTuber and she was trying to leave the country and she got killed in that, uh, that attack as well. There's so many, like there were two journalists in that attack that got killed and so many people that got killed and so many women journalists that were, that get kind of got like disappeared and we don't know where they are anymore. Like, and what you did, you just watched and you have no right to now criticize what's happening there. No. (laughs) Because you could have prevented that and you were doing, and now you're just sitting out here and like kind of talking about women's rights and talking about this and that. That's all bullshit. When you have a power to do so, when you can change that, then why are you just not doing anything instead of like on empty words? Mm, Because that means nothing anymore. Because my sister, in 2020, my family, there was a family gathering in my house and they attacked on my house because we've been against Taliban since the beginning of the time. Like we are supporting any movement against them. We are always in the front line against them. And they attacked on my house on a family gathering, which they they were able to kill my brother-in-law, it was a police officer, and my sister that was shot on her feet and she went through three different surgeries to just survive. And she's still not able to walk. And I explained this to Ashla Garna that I need to take my sister out. But if Taliban find out that my sister is a widow of a police officer, they're going to stone her in public. And they did nothing about it. And if today, if they figure that they, they, they collect the dots and they know who my family is and if they find my sister is a widow of a police officer, they're just going to simply take attack on my house and take my sister and they're going to kill her in public. So that's what the punishment is. So there's like, a, okay, now if, like you, if my sister is going to be, be like a kind of, my, may God forbid that if something like that happened, take place, my, something happened to my sister, you can't just sit here and then criticize Taliban for what they did. Because you had yeah. the power to prevent that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Is there? Um, I like so the elections are coming up. I hope. I, hope I, I, really I truly hope, so. hope the Reykjavik rebels win this time. Whether, like, if they win, 
The Reykjavik Zoo? Uh, liberals, liberals, like visitors. Yeah. If this, this guys win, they're really diverse. Like they, 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 I actually, things. like I've been to a lot of their meetings lately and I can see things that, the, the plans they have for foreigners here. I really encourage the foreigners yeah. that listening to us to, if they have the right to vote, just go and vote for this guys. Because they they're working on diversity a lot. Mm, we need we need somebody somebody who's going to do something. Yeah, I don't want to like, hear yeah, any exactly uh, twisted words and no. things made out to be better than they are and like big Absolutely. fat promises. It's like it's actually quite sickening. It's, it has been for the last few months, especially with to do with you know the mm. refugees. It's just I don't want to hear any more bullshit you know absolutely yeah. and like because we were talking I, before we i really kind of like a provided like a good alternative for ashlik atna how yeah. they can take 100 families out of afghanistan without anybody noticing yeah and i i i said to her that i'm more than willing to volunteer myself to go on the ground and evacuate those families wow mm-hmm. we're back to afghanistan go yeah. back to afghanistan and evacuate those families for Icelandic government if you want to take those families and I, I don't mind that. I told her this all. And I had a really good idea of evacuating 100 families out of Afghanistan without anybody's noticing. Mm-hmm. But silence. Yeah. It's, um, it's a horrible frustrating. one. So frustrating. And I can imagine. It's just like, especially when you go to the people that are supposed to help you and they do nothing. But they smile they, at you and tell the, you that they're going to help yeah, you. Yeah, that's and then the point. They promise helping you and the next day you completely say something different comes out of them. And you and they just literally lied in my face. Yeah. Mm. And you, they, ca- oh, you told a very, like, you put yourself in a vulnerable situation telling a story about your family. And then it's just, I think it's just so shameless. Yeah. And it's so kind of like frustrating. I, I actually like suggested to all of them an idea of how to evacuate those families yeah. through the north. Like there was really good way. It's like a, you can get families like four hours away from the like from where I live. We're clo- we're four hours away from Uzbekistan, so you can just get them to the border of the Uzbekistan. And somebody from Red Cross has to go to the border, and they are going to let all the families in. And we can just easily flow them out to Tajikistan, yeah. uh, Uzbekistan, like in Tashkent. We can easily just flow them out anywhere in Europe. It was so easy; nobody would have even noticed. They didn't even had to go to the rush situation in Kabul. I mean, I don't understand why, um, and I'm not a politician, I don't pretend to be, but I don't understand why countries like Iceland and other European countries wouldn't just uh, do something amazing to make a statement, even if it's not from the goodness of anyone's heart, but as a sort of like... Role model. Role model thing, like just get some good publicity if you want, if that's what you're interested in, or I don't know, maybe, uh, but like, it's such an opportunity to make... Yeah, like you said, um, to be a role model. And we're just, again and again, I feel like a lot of these countries are missing really good opportunities to to change. And it wouldn't cost Iceland very much to have 100 families, especially, you know. Absolutely. And, and like I nobody know. wants to, it's not like people are... You know, nobody wants to live off benefits in Iceland. People are here to And the contribute. point is, if you're mm-hmm. bringing those families, like, uh, no, they were all like, a, so they, like, in the category that they wanted to take the 120 people, they didn't include, like, a women rights advocates. They didn't include, like, a women. Who are in danger ju- now. Yeah, they didn't yeah. advocate, they didn't, like, uh, include women journalists. They didn't, uh, like, include human rights activists. They didn't include... Nothing. No. What is this? What like, is like w- these categories are really these categories that they made was like literally they they're doing nothing I, and they just what? show up like they're doing something. 
So there, there was like actually like the way they twisted it, like <sighs> it was like it looked like they yeah. were doing something, but actually they're doing. But the small nothing. print makes it like yeah. almost impossible. So don't be fooled. And by you these know the statements. news is on their side, so. Yeah, I'm like very. I'm always very like disappointed by how little it's in the news generally. Yeah. And then I, I mean, there are people like us, and nobody really listens to us. No. So it's like we're trying, like, and then people hates me for I just speaking, like, collecting the dots, putting together, and proving their politicians wrong. You're and you're too just, smart. Yeah, they just don't <laughs> like me at but all. Do people? Do people? Have you had ne- negative comments? Oh my god! You? If you just go through the posts of my articles, like that's been published on social media, oh shit! Like there's hundreds of comments, like just saying things about me. Ignore it. They're, yeah, yeah. Ignore. And they're all like when I was working at the shop, and somebody, some guy came out, like he was asking me for something, and I didn't do his favor. I was like, yeah, if you you don't do this favor, I'm going to throw you out of this country. <laughs> it's like babes, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> you can try. Wow. But I think we will need to have another conversation with you at some point. Sure. I mean, if you'd want to <laughs> look into it yeah, join you guys sometimes and like thank you for sharing your story with, with us we thank like you. that's probably not very easy right no. now um, and I really appreciate how open and mm-hmm. honest you've been with us and uh, like I wish the best for your family and, and your people and I really wish them all the best yeah no problem thanks a lot for having me I mean I'm glad to be here I mean I I'm a kind of person, like, uh, I don't care, like, uh, where the disaster is happening. If there is something happening anywhere in the world, I would stand up for them. I would, if I know there are people that we could be their voices to raise awareness, and it takes nothing from us. We just can, we just need to spoke, spoke up for them, mm-hmm. and because they can't, they are not in the position where we are, where we're privileged ones, and I think what we can do is, like, this simplest things to stand up for them. Because those people, m- what's happening in that country may not affect us today, but in future it will. The war affects the environment and the environment affects us, so somehow we are going to get some effects by it. And on those people in this kind of states where now Taliban's are controlling, they're like kind of, they're on, the whole country is being led by a terrorist organization. So what do you expect? They could send any time a terrorist attack in anywhere in the world and just hurt innocent people. So, and we are responsible for it if we are not speaking up against it. So we can speak and we can be the voice of people that are oppressed. Because so many people, I, when I have a conversation with, and then like they look at me, they were like, hey, you know, I wish I was at the time of the World War One or World War Two. I might have changed a lot of things. I would have spoken, I would have gone and volunteered there. There it is. It's happening. Yeah, it's happening exactly. here in front of your eyes. Why are you doing nothing about it? Like the same thing. Maybe back then, back then they were like burning people alive in World War One or Two. They were like killing each other. Now they're like slashing people in public, like stoning women in public. Do something about it. Mm-hmm. Let's go and speak up. Push your government to do something. We, as a human beings, we can do a lot for those people. That, that why are you silent? Mm-hmm. Why are you just ignoring? Like it's nothing is happening. So it's just like, yeah, but there are so many people I have had a conversation back and they're like, yeah, you know, I wish I was there at the time of when World War One or Two were happening. I might have done a lot of things to change it. Yeah, there are your chances. Yeah, the chance, you still have that yeah. opportunity. Yeah. There are children dying in Yemen every day out of hunger. There are children dying in Syria. There are people dying in Palestine. There are people dying in all across the countries that are burning all around us. 
like Turkey was burning, Italy is burning, Greece is burning, to see what's happening out our situations. If we don't stand up for this people or for what's happening to our planet, maybe today it doesn't affect us. Yeah, that's true. But the next generation that's coming, our children, it's going to affect them. Mm-hmm. It's going to like destroy their lives. Like maybe rich people today has their ways. Maybe they just go in a space rocket and go to the space. But where are you going to go? Mm. Because you go no, you got nowhere to go. This planet is yours. And if we don't stand up for it and we don't defend it, yeah, this, where was this borders? Like maybe if you look like a two hundred years back, there was no no borders. We were all used to be same. We we're living as mm-hmm. human beings. Mm-hmm. Maybe today we have different cultures and different different so like little bit of difference of religion, but still we are also human beings, and we just have to think beyond borders. And I swear, like I never like I just look at you because where you are from. I just look at you as human beings. I don't give a damn where you are from or where you were born or where you were raised, because it wasn't your choice to be born in a certain place. You were just born and raised. And let's make a difference today where we are standing. I'm just trying to make this planet a better place for all of us yeah. to live equally and peacefully with a respectable life. Mm-hmm. I don't expect anything else. No. All these wars, all these destructions, all this stuff that's happening just because of some rich guy sitting in America want to get richer. So we can change that if we stand up, if we speak up, but if we just be ignorant and we say, okay, these guys are Muslims, these guys are that, these guys are this, they're standing there and let them die, let them get whatever they want to. Today, maybe it's happened to my country, tomorrow it's going to come to happen to your country, the other day it's going yeah. to happen to other places. Exactly. So yeah, thanks a lot and... Thanks to those who's going to listen to us um, yes. to make some changes. Mm-hmm. Let's do it.